0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Deal with Danny Brown. Today's guest is a legend in the legal business, uh, Bruce Smiley, the founder of Freeman, Freeman, and Smiley. He's uh, an elite real estate attorney, business attorney, a consigliore for many uh, institutions, family offices, does a lot of incredible work, a wonderful, wonderful, warm guy. You can always find Bruce at uh, Freeman, Freeman, and Smiley. Their website is ffslaw.com. And you can always find us at The Deal Pod on Instagram. You can also find me on my personal Instagram, at Danny Brown. Uh, what am I? At Danny Brown LA. That's me, man. So thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening. And uh, hopefully you'll get some wisdom and some nuggets out of this this talk with Bruce. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Danny Brown with The Deal. Today I have a special guest, Bruce Smiley. Welcome to The Deal, Bruce. How are you? I'm
1: great. How are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. I'm on the edge of my chair because I can't wait to get into some sto- some stories with you. But for those that don't know, uh, you are founder of, uh, of, of Freeman Smiley. You've been an attorney for 35 plus years, power attorney at an elite level. You're a real estate attorney, but your firm does everything. It's a fully integrated law firm. So why don't we just start with uh, your law firm, what it looks like today, what it consists of, and then take us back to how you started it, when it started, and what did it look like in the beginning? Because so I imagine there's been some progression and evolution.
1: Well, the firm started in 1976. Uh, the firm is called Free- was, was and is called today Freeman, Freeman and Smiley. Doug and Rick Freeman are brothers. They worked with me in a firm called Mazaro Schneider, Forer and Lawrence. I had the fortune of working with Art Mazero, who was one of the preeminent real estate attorneys in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and um, what, how this our firm came to be is that Doug and Rick, who are four or five years older than myself, uh, decided to leave the firm and were begging me to join them. I had practiced for a whopping two years. Oh, wow. And uh, my comment to them was, I don't even know what I don't know yet. I think <laughs> it's too early for me to leave, and uh, I just need some time. So they started Freeman and Freeman and kept bugging me to join them. As the story goes, they would have called me in their cell phone to invite me to come over when they were driving there, but we didn't have cell phones yet. Right. So I, now,
0: was this, this is in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, it was in Los Angeles. We were in Beverly Hills at the time, and they opened their first office at uh, 9911 West Pico.
0: Woo, uh,
1: Pico. Th- so the two of them were, were there. They were there for a year. They kept, kept hounding me to join them. Finally, they were retained by Conroy's Flowers, which was yeah, a very significant you. florist for many years in yeah. Southern California with a great deal of real estate work, and they just begged me to join them. So then we started the negotiation. Now I've now had practiced for about two and three quarter years. And uh, they wanted me to join and become a part of Freeman and Freeman. And, and what's the salary? What's the name of the firm? Well, just come and join us as it is and we'll figure it out. <laughs> and I said, no, <laughs> I wasn't gonna do that. And given the style that I have, I'm a pretty ethical person. I decided I had to tell Art Masro that I had been asked to join this firm, and that I was giving serious thought to it. And I remember to this day, as I told Art, he lost control of his pen. It just fell out of his hand. When I told him what I was planning to do, I was very close to him, and he had a, a future. I had a future in that firm if I wanted to stay there. Um, so. This whole you dialogue gave me the ability to go back and negotiate with Rick and Doug. And one of the things I said is non-negotiable. I won't move unless the firm name changes immediately to Freeman Freeman Smiley. And they looked at me like I was nuts. I've been practicing for not yet three years. I said, <laughs> those are the terms. I'm not doing that. And your salary cannot move till mine catches yours. <laughs> and uh, they agreed. They agreed to that. Firm name changed. It took about three weeks for there, there to be enough income for me to get a very sizable increase in salary. Moving to a firm which was really kind of a startup firm, and there we were. And this was in 1977. So I am, I am, you know, I've, I've been at this with a firm like this for 40 plus years. Uh, same firm. It's the same group of people Doug and Rick have retired in the last few years, but we've been at this for quite some time
0: so let me think about you said ninety nine hundred block of pico is that like uh where Factors deli is
1: No, it's a couple blocks up from factors there' uh <laughs> there used to there's a there used to be a restaurant on the corner there's an the building is uh it's, a, it's an office building so it's like yeah. a nine story office building.
0: It's not what you'd think of as a power broker's location. It's not Central City or Beverly Hills.
1: No, no, we, we 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 were anything but that.
0: So it starts with uh, you joining them. They started. You join them. So now, what does the firm look like today? And what, you know, what does it cover? How many attorneys? How many employees?
1: We are. We. Our goal was to build the firm slowly and carefully. We watched firms around us that were smaller than us, and they said, we will go to 10, we'll go to 20 attorneys, we're going to go to 30. They did, and no the sooner they did that, they were out of business, too. Uh, our goal was we're going from two to three, three to four, four to five, five to four to six, and we just grew slowly uh, and carefully, yeah. and I always had a tremendous eye of running a business. Notwithstanding we're a law firm, we have to run a business. Um Today, there's 51, 52 attorneys. We're a full-service firm uh, with a huge estate planning practice. That's what Doug and Rick created there. Today, there's probably well over 15,000 estate planning files. Oh, wow. I mean, that's how large it is. And we we do every aspect of estate planning. It started off as, you know, just doing wills and trusts, and Doug realized there was a limitation to where he could go with that. So we advanced into foundation work, charitable giving, probate. We have a huge probate practice. And uh, that was their side. And I have continued to grow and nurture the real estate side all these years. Um, With my biggest opportunity early on, I was invited into the Sandy Sigaloff Wicks family during the Wix bankruptcy of 1982 and 83, I was surrounded with the giant law firms and myself as lead real estate counsel for their work for seven years, six, seven years during the bankruptcy. So that was probably my first major huge opportunity.
0: Yeah. Pretty, pretty big experience and learning factor. So being both, you know, a founder of a law firm and practicing. How do you balance that? And how much time uh, is consumed with managing a business versus you just being a producer and dealing with your own clients and your own book of business?
1: Well, when we were younger, we were all managing. We were all practicing. We were all developing business, and it was it was you know it was quite a quite a, a challenge. But as we grew, we started adding staff, support staff to take care of a lot of the day-to-day stuff. Uh, We created an executive management committee, which we were all rolling in and out of. And as time wore on, we found some really, really smart people who were part of our firm who could deal with the day-to-day management things that needed to be done. And they, they were left with that, allowing the three of us to spend less time in that. more time practicing and and growing our practices
0: smart so you delegate it couldn't do everything so you in the beginning you wore all the hats and everyone did everything but as it evolved and grew you were able to get out in front of it delegate and be able to focus on what you do which is servicing your clients so What sort of clients uh, can you tell us about that you work with? What are some of your typical clients, or ones that you're allowed to share?
1: Well, I we we mentioned them. It's not a surprise. We 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 represent uh, today uh, travelers insurance are doing all their West Coast real estate. Represent uh, Unilever for years. We've done work for them throughout the United States, and. we, we represent a huge company who doesn't want us to provide their name, but they're in Seattle and, and they're everywhere. And uh, we're asked to do the most challenging projects for them throughout, throughout the country, which is quite an opportunity. Yeah. Um, we do work for Callaway Golf. They uh, just did a merger. We were involved with certain pieces of that. Uh, we yeah. represent HSBC during their finance work on the West Coast. These are clients I've created over the years, and and the, the the fun part of this, the challenge of trying to develop these size clients. And I've always looked at myself as David in the world of Goliath. I'm competing with super super large law firms, with you know super talented people, and I've had to figure out how to get myself in the door and get opportunities with these clients. And it's been. Challenging. It's taken a lot of work, but it's also very fun to be able to develop that kind of work.
0: Yeah. So even at your level, I hear you saying that you feel like you're the underdog, and you're going up against people and comp- firms that are just massive. And even for you, you're looking for any angle to get in. You're not the the biggest uh, the biggest one on
1: the block, so to speak. Oh, by no means. And uh, we we are we have a a, a feeling about. How we do things, I, I, I don't think any firm could be more caring and sincere than us. Uh, that is an easy part of us. And we carry that forward to our clients. We really care about them. And uh, both Doug, Rick, including myself, had a the correct sensitivity to realize that to practice law, there's a lot more to it than just being a very bright, skillful attorney. We're dealing with people, we're dealing with sure. companies, dealing with real situations where they're on the edge of their seat oftentimes wondering what's going on. And if we don't have the sensitivity when we know something or have a sense of what's going on to call and reach out and tell them and share what's going on, we miss the whole point of yeah. of, of what we're doing. So we're, we're we're really good at that. I know that.
0: All right. So I'm gonna rewind a little bit. I wanted to let everyone at least hear about what's going on with you now. But let's let's take it back. Why don't we start from where you grew up and uh where you went to school? I can't remember if you were in LA if you grew up in LA or not, but something led you to be this confident two uh, attorney two years out of uh law school asking to have your name on the door and be a partner. So I'd be curious to know how you were raised, where you were raised, and you know, can you speak to that a little bit?
1: I grew up in Minneapolis. Um, I, uh, one of three children, uh, my, my mother died when I was four years old. So I basically grew up without a mother. Um, my father remarried when I was nine or 10, but it was never the same as classic families where, you know, everything is cohesive and works perfectly. Um, we went to public schools. Uh, No one paid any attention to us when we went to school like people do today. And I, I, uh, I flourished because I was able to in schools that probably weren't as challenging as schools I could have attended at that time. There were city schools, public schools. Yeah. I think people in the school system paid attention to me, cared about me, realized my background and would oftentimes expose me to opportunities that others weren't exposed to. I think I earned them and merited them, but but I'm like my counselor in, in high school insisted that I not go to the University of Minnesota. Most of my friends from high school don't even know we had a counselor, let alone <laughs> having someone who was focusing with me all the time on what I was doing, where I was going. But she said, I'm not letting you go to the University of Minnesota. You need to get out of here. You, you need to flourish. You need to get away from your family environment right. and go somewhere else. So I had family in Los Angeles. I applied to UCLA. Um, it seemed like an easy transition if I could get in. And um, I was fortunate enough, I got into UCLA and it was not easy as an out-of-state student to get into sure. UCLA. At that time, this is 1967, wow. right at the height of Vietnam War, <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I leave the most careful, safe environment in Minneapolis, and I arrive on the campus of UCLA in 1967, and that is the the day I took the flight out from Minneapolis is the day I got off the turnip truck. That's, uh, that's it. when I just started growing up. It was the
0: the hippies and the revolutionaries uh, at UCLA.
1: Everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere I did, everything
0: changed. Just a little, I was just in Minneapolis about two weeks ago, uh, and it was snowing, and I was, my son went to camp, a fall camp, so we were just, uh, it was outside of Minneapolis in Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin, so I was just there. So that is quite a culture shock in a lot of ways, coming Mm -hmm. in the late 60s to UCLA so tell me, what, what did your dad do? Was he a lawyer?
1: Or No, my, my dad w- worked with my uncle. My uncle was one of the most prominent architects in Minneapolis. In fact, he's designed the major hospital in Minneapolis, is uh, the Hennepin County General Hospital. It's a four or five block size hospital. He was a lead architect on that kind of project. That's the kind of things he did. My father worked with him in business development. He helped find the work, develop the work for the firm.
0: Yeah. All right. So you make it to UCLA. It's quite a time. Those are the wooden years. Did you go to a lot of good games at the Ollie Pavilion? easier
1: to say, is there any game I missed? I can't recall any. But my experience (laughs) in basketball was the idea of losing a basketball game was utter devastation. Right. It just it rarely ever happened. So, yeah, we Went there and just won national championship after national championship.
0: So you must have been studying because, uh, you know, you you had, you ended up deciding to go to law school, had to have good grades. So, you talk me through that. You were, when did you know you wanted to go to law school or was it a default? Like, how how did you decide law school is that?
1: Well, let's go back for a second. I mentioned I went to what I'd call a mediocre high school. I really wasn't pushed in high school, and I'll use as a comparison, my wife and her her training, when I I could see, and we met at UCLA, but we'll come back to that. But I I wasn't pushed. And I I was in the top of my class, just coasting. (laughs) Coming to UCLA, from a standpoint of intellectually performing, was a shock, an absolute shock, because I didn't have great study habits. I, I hadn't pushed myself the way I could, and I had to do some catching up. you were um, in
0: for a rude awakening. Yeah, it was
1: a rude awakening. But I, but I, you know I had the ability. I could see that very quickly. Yeah. But this idea of studying, spending time, really learning something—that that was kind of new to me. So
0: going to the library with books was I mean, actually that wasn't part whole, of the program.
1: Huh? The whole thing was very different. So <laughs> I, I, spent the probably year, year and a half. Figuring out how to become a student. There you go. Uh, and then I started to, to really do a lot better when I got a hold of that. But I met my wife in the second middle of the second year of college. Wow. She's a consummate student, valedictorian from her high school, just a consummate student. And then there's yeah. me. And, yeah. And I, I I quickly had a I could see the difference and what I probably should be doing. And if you could see the, the amount of energy and work that I started to put into school, it it started to blossom. Slowly at first, but it started to blossom after my my second, third, fourth year of college.
0: All right. So you meet your wife. Were you guys serious uh, in college, in undergrad? Were you were you already on a track getting to getting married by the time you were leaving undergrad and going we, to law school?
1: We got married. We we dated intermittently at first. And um, we got married, and after the first semester of law school. Okay. So, so we were married young. We were like 22 years old, uh, which was young. It was young today. It's hugely very young today, but it was young at the time. Um, and uh, my wife was going to law school. She always planned to go to law school. And the one thing we concluded is if we were getting married, we couldn't afford figuring out how two of us were going to law school. And, uh, you know, that just didn't make any sense. And she graciously said that she would just quickly pick up a teaching credential and teach, generate an income, and I could go to law school, which was very, very cool, very much appreciated. So she
0: sacrificed law school so you could go. Yeah. Yeah. And and how did you know law school? You went because she was interested in going to law school. No, that time.
1: I probably thought I was going to want to go to business school, uh, but I it just that nothing really drove me over the top as to one or another. And I finally decided let's give it a shot and go to law school, and that's what I did. And here, here's go. what's interesting: uh, from my first exam at UCLA, which was like a disaster. I just was not prepared. So now I start law school and this is like I'm going to the Super Bowl and I you know I've prepared for the Super Bowl all season wow. and I'm ready to go. The first test in law school, uh the scores of civil procedure, the scores range from like 65 to 70, maybe someone got a 75. And my first score was a 95. Ooh. That that was the focus that I had now put on myself intellectually when I started law school. Wow, so You I, were a
0: new man by that
1: time. Well, I, I now was working hard. I am God-given, the God-given talent to work hard, physically have the ability to work hard. And, you know, when you combine all those things and you want to do it, it, it makes it easier. I mean, there's a lot of people who would do this, but physically they just can't do it. They don't have the physical strength or there's, you know this holds them back. I am, I have all of those God given attributes and was able to apply them and worked very, very hard. Starting. were you
0: at UCLA for law school? Or no, you, I went
1: to Southwestern. You went
0: to Southwestern, yeah, which is also LA, yeah. And so, you get through law school, and now let's talk through the end of law school and starting to figure out where, where you're going to go to work. How did you? land at that firm that you, you first mentioned. Was that well, firm? what
1: I, what I wanted to do, I wanted to be in a business setting in law. And I, where I saw business was either corporate real estate or an entertainment. And, and it wasn't like I've got to do one or got to do the other. It was one of those, but that, that was the kind of work I wanted to do. And as I, had a smattering of involvement with litigation, and I could tell you that was absolutely not what I wanted to do. I probably could have been a great litigator, but I just did not want to be in a, a fight constantly with somebody. That just is not fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I knew those areas. And then it was a matter of finding the right opportunity. And it was challenging. I, I wasn't at uh, Harvard, I wasn't at Yale, I wasn't at Stanford. And I had to work a hundred times harder than other people did to find the right job. Um, not not just a little bit, but a lot harder, because I, I there was just a tremendous amount of bias at that time. So, you no, know, you've just got to be at these these top schools. And I wasn't. So, that, so tell that's,
0: me, do you do you remember what was your starting salary out of school in nineteen was it nineteen seventy six? You said seventy seven.
1: I'm probably I was probably earning. 18000 dollars a year—very nice. Yeah. And what is what would be like
0: the entry now if you're coming out of a good law school?
1: You know, I—I—I'm I, going to guess it's. No, I'm really guessing it's well into the hundred thousands, or maybe into the two hundred thousand. I mean, the numbers are just staggeringly different. Yeah, yeah, staggeringly.
0: All right, so now let's get back to today. So now you've, you've built this big business. Uh, along the way, you got married, you had family, you have kids. Now you have grandkids as well. So how did you balance life, work, family? Uh, I imagine you have some intense hours, uh, some intense clients and in some high stakes situations. And all that stuff also is, you know, the home life's intense when you have little kids and you're Balancing it all. So, tell me a little bit about that and how you went about that. Okay,
1: so um, we we have two children and they're twins, and uh, they were born in 1979. We waited eight years or so to have children. That was part of the trade-off when we agreed we were going to get married early. Um, it became very obvious to both of us very quickly that we both wanted to really be there for our kids. And it took a couple of years for us to realize that what we were doing was not special. Everyone was doing the same thing, you know. that everyone wanted to be there for their kids. Well, this this is where my ability to work hard, I'm talking about hours, and have the physical strength to do things was a huge advantage to me. I kept setting my alarm clock earlier and earlier and earlier to get up, to get work done. So that I could be free, when particularly my kids started to be five, six, seven, eight years old, um, my daughter was very talented, and my son's a gifted athlete, and there was plenty to be able to do and see with your kids, right. and spending the time with them. So uh, when the, when they got into a groove with what they were doing, I was getting up at four in the morning without an uh-huh. alarm clock. Every day, four in the wow. morning, and by by eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I had already worked half a day. Yeah, and 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 I would I feel very comfortable leaving the office at three or four in the afternoon. Uh, if there was something going on with kids, kids act sports, kids activities, and after dinner I'd go back to work for a couple more hours. Yeah, the fortune I have is I can do that. I mean I I, I am. Just, I'm just physically very strong so I can yeah. put those hours in and not be a wreck not be you know impossible to deal with yeah and, and I'm, I'm fortunate to have that that that's yeah. so I spent a lot of time with my kids when they were growing up and whatever life activities they were in my wife was doing the same thing and it's the fortune of that is we're all very close yeah we, yeah.
0: so the trade off is, you know, for you was getting up early and having the strength and stamina to work late hours. But in between you, if important family stuff came up after school stuff, you were totally going to see your kids stuff and then get back to work and work late and not. It was no issue. So you had that. that was, and, it wasn't but, a nine to five lifestyle in any way. No.
1: And in fact, uh, I, I what I described my work. Uh, we didn't talk about this. I'll bring it up. But to, to build a business the way we've built the business, I, I, I considered I had two jobs. I worked at law during the day, and I worked at marketing in the evening. Uh, I, I started, teaching, started teaching about a month after I, I started working for Art Maslow. He went on a vacation, and he said, you're taking my class. He was teaching extension at UCLA, and you're teaching my class. He didn't ask. He just said I was doing it. Well that I do like teaching. I like speaking. And that, I mean, when you start teaching, even stuff you know, if you do a good job, you gotta prepare. Yeah. And now I'm preparing think. for this, working, but all of a sudden I'm starting to realize people are calling me. I'm getting clients. I've been practicing at Arts Office for a year and a half, and now I'm already getting people calling me. Yes. And I said, Wow, this is a nice way to find myself and find contacts today. By by being out there teaching classes. That,
0: yeah, so that's that's an interesting point that you said that you know, you run your business in the day and at night you're marketing. So why don't you talk about that? Why you you know, if you could take us to your peak hustle years of building your business, is that were you going to networking events you were teaching? Were you going out to client meals and you know, other other sort of influencer dinners? Like What were the sort of things that you've done uh, through your career to build your business and do marketing, et cetera?
1: Well, so let's take, you mentioned a networking event. Yeah. When you understand how I was coming at this, a networking event was not good for me. Being in an event where there's five attorneys, 12 potential clients, and everyone's trying to tell you tell someone in three minutes why you're a special, and they're not that, that just that's not that, your thing. <laughs> just it just it wasn't productive enough. yeah but the teaching was because I'd have 40, 50, 60 people in a class, and they'd start to see me, but I, I knew I had to start elevating where I was teaching and and I worked hard to find find opportunities and programs. I did a lot of teaching early on for the ICSC, the International Council of Shopping Centers. Okay yeah. it's very prestigious shopping center organization. Sure. and by doing that, I was introduced to an other speakers. What a surprise, people who like speaking yeah. and uh, probably twenty five years ago, I started connecting with a bunch of people who teach at georgetown at Georgetown Law School. yeah, and I was invited to go on the advisory board for Georgetown Law School about 25 years ago. And I teach I teach continuing education, real estate law at Georgetown Law School. It entails going back there a couple times a year to do it. But the people that I, I teach before are real estate people from around the country that are invited to be there. Our board of some of the top real estate attorneys in the country. So these connections lead to opportunities and it's not where you just show up and say, here I am. Here's my, my sign. I want work. No, it takes time and nurturing and someone who you say hello to becomes a friend one day and he needs help the next day. Right. But it, it takes a lot of follow through a lot of attention to, you know, to, to land these clients.
0: Yeah. That's a really good point. I, I say that a lot that what your experience and your you articulated going to networking events I feel 100% the same way it's not my thing I don't find it a productive thing to do to go to a big event and you know I go to support friends or to support charities that I that I that I'm interested in but that for me is not the way to go it real networking does take years and years and building relationships as you said so that's the patience and the long game I think is is the key to that it's not just hey here's my business card you know Hire me, you know. It's, that's really- I'll give
1: you an example of what I think classic marketing is. Um, fortunately, I had my own firm. It was very easy if I traveled to, you know, the firm paid for everything. The firms always paid for everything, but they've done that. They support that for everybody. But it was easy when we were young. We were willing to spend money on each other for marketing. Yeah. Well, I'm representing Unilever, and I'm in New York all the time because Unilever is in New York. And I was introduced to the head of real estate for HSBC. Can't even remember the year, but I was introduced to him. Pleasant meeting. And he knows I'd love to be able to do the finance work for HSBC on the West Coast. Yeah. Danny, I probably visited his office 15 times. <laughs> now, go back to New York. My, my wife always travels with me. She. You kind of wonder, what is this? Every year, you're gone for 35, 40 minutes, and you say you're going to HSBC. You go there for, for that short amount of time. You come back, and you said you've spent time marketing. I, all those times I mentioned, uh, a quick trip from the hotel to HSBC to say hello to this yeah. contact, explain what we could do, keep showing up. I mean, One year, this is a success. He asked me to contribute to his charity. That was a success. I didn't have any work, but he asked me to contribute yeah, to the Columbus doing. Day Parade in New York.
0: Fantastic. You're giving him money. You're
1: thrilled. I'm giving him <laughs> money. To, and then all of a sudden, one day, he says, you know, we have a small bit of work on the West Coast. We'd like you to do it. There you and, go. And we had some great people in finance. Jill Draffin was one of them. And... One thing leads to another, leads to another, but it took years of just quick bursts of follow through, paying attention to nurture HSBC as a client.
0: Yeah. So what I'm hearing is a lot of themes of persistence and stick to it. And stick to and endurance and you know, persistence and all these themes that the thread that runs through so many successful people. And it's, you know, it's, when you break it down, it's not brain surgery so much. It's, it's really about doing those simple things. But those simple things are hard to do consistently, which is why most people don't do it.
1: That's you it, know? consistently. That's the right word. It's easy to do, but to do it consistently, to follow and through. It's
0: hard to do it the way it needs to be done, year after year after year after year. So talk to me about some lessons learned now, you know, looking back, are there things you wish you would have done differently? are there lessons that you've learned through the years that you think, well, if I was starting out as an attorney, I wish I would have known this."
1: Well, starting out, I, I wish there had been an easier way to get in front of potential clients, potential clients. It is so easy for me to build a relationship when I'm in front of a lead, the hard thing is finding a lead. That's the hard thing. But, you know, and, and someone says, well, you give me a lead and I'll get the work. No, no. What you'll get is the lead. Will you follow through? Will you do what it takes and will you not be discouraged when it takes four years for that to ripen? Yeah. I mean, things, things that are so simple is learn your lead's birthday. Or if you talk to him and you hear that his mother is going in for surgery, call him five weeks later and just say, how's your mother? Yeah. You won't believe how you can build rapport with people when you care.
0: Yeah, care, have empathy, yeah. come from a place of of caring and love and wanting to be involved. And that's such good, such good information. Again, seems so simple yet it's so hard to do right why most people don't do
1: it most Any, people most people don't take the time or you know what it is the the success and the you know the the, the benefit doesn't come quick enough so why would i do it the instant
0: that, that, gratification that's
1: what that's what turns people it doesn't turn them off but it doesn't they don't get enough positive reinforcement quickly enough to yeah. to um to make it happen yeah so, but those, but the, you know, those are the things that that I've learned, and I, I just haven't been turned off to the fact that it wasn't yes right away. It always helped that we always seemed to have plenty of work, and we were trying to build more, build a firm, grow a firm. If we could find more work, we would add attorneys to do it. But it, it, there was, it, I just, I've, you know, I've just never had to work. I wake up one day and someone says, oh, here, this, here's a client. This is yours. Yeah. Just hand it to me. So yeah.
0: any, any crazy client stories you could share, any high profile deals? You mentioned one early in your career. Is there anything else that comes to mind that would be a fun, a fun or interesting uh, story to tell?
1: Well, I, I'll, as we talk, I'll think of some. Uh, one, one of the things I always like to talk about is we we find, I mean, you could go, go sit down and two people who who ha, are talking an attorney story. And if you could just eavesdrop, you'll typically hear, oh, this guy doesn't do this, and he doesn't do that, he costs too much, he you know, he's taking more time than he needs to. And I, I've done this a couple of times. I, I, I really enjoyed the reaction. Uh, I'm a member of a country club, and two of my, not close friends, but friends were having that kind of conversation. Yeah. And I walked by and sat down. I said, you know, never have that problem with the smartest clients. But anything else, we have the problem. But those smart clients, they don't have that problem. They do know. know how to use you as an attorney. They, they, they ask for work. They ask you to do stuff when they need it for you and need it done. If they don't need it, they don't ask for it. They, they realize if you're spending hours on something, it's going to cost money. Right, but right. I, I always like to turn it around.
0: Yes, yeah. Oh, that's funny. So, what are you? What are you doing for fun these days? You know, if you're not with, if you're not working, you're not with clients. You're not with the family. Uh, are you traveling? Are you playing golf? What What does Bruce like to do for fun? You a wild party animal? What's going
1: on? Oh yeah, I'm wild.
0: <laughs> I think you're wild undercover. You're an undercover wild man.
1: <laughs> well, prior, we've my wife and I have spent a lot of time from March through now canceling trips
0: yeah
1: we've canceled yeah. And we've canceled the trip to china to north africa to europe uh now we we're supposed to be in uh in uh costa rica this week uh, We've that's all we've been doing is canceling trips yeah uh, we we've been doing a lot of traveling and and i've been finding and this wouldn't surprise you that I can do work. I've tried to cut down the amount of work I'm doing as I've gotten older, but I can do work anywhere. As long yeah. as I have a computer, I have a cell phone, but then again, Wi-Fi. it's an attitude. I mean, I've, I have people who work for me and I totally respect this. If I'm on vacation, I'm on vacation. I don't want to mix the two. I am able to mix the two and I could be on a call. It could be on a call that's very challenging. I hang up the phone and I get back to what I'm doing. I, I'm okay. able. I'm able to do that. So that's a lot of pivot,
0: problem. compartmentalize right. business. Boom. Now I'm on vacation. Boom. That's another important skill set to be able to do that. Right. Otherwise, it bleeds into your life, and you can never be, you know, focused on your life and your personal stuff. So that's right. a really big so
1: traveling has been a part of us. And it will be as soon as it's a bit safer to do it. But in, the, in these nine months, and I spend most of my time right here. This is my office.
0: This is it. Um, Zoom uh, life.
1: Pardon me? Zoom life. Yeah, well, it's zoom zoom I, I, I In front of me is every piece of equipment. That yeah. has made it a lot easier. I've got a desk. I've got a desk behind me. I've got a printer. I've got a scanner. I've got two screens that are huge. I've got lighting that's appropriate. I've got multiple <laughs> phone lines. So, so I can what do else you need? properly.
0: Yeah. You but, I,
1: but, how, but how I've spent the time, uh, I, I work out with a trainer and w- what I do, I think for my age is inordinately grueling workouts, not just going through the motions that goes right back to me and my yeah. personality. Well, uh, shows
0: You look good, Bruce. You're looking
1: lean. Thank you. Um, just out the window to the right there is El Caballero Country Club. I live a block away from our country club. I um, I golf, I've always golfed on Saturdays. I have now changed my schedule. I golf Wednesday mornings now. You know, I get up early and golf. And you know, like, here's an example. Even at this point, I, I golfed this morning at eight o'clock. And when I went to bed last night, I was nowhere able to be able leave here today and go golf at eight o'clock and pay attention to clients I wasn't ready I got up this morning at four o'clock I got up and when I just had to do it because I had to take care of things i got yeah. everything taken care of move so I could leave there and enjoy golf in peace yeah but it, it. it you've got to, you know you've got to be able to relax when you're doing something and I know for me to relax I can't have people uptight waiting for something for me
0: sure
1: but yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm doing that now so i'm golfing twice a week um working out several times a week plus i'm i i, I get a daily routine for stretching i i can't I'm trying to convince my kids they need to do this as you get older but yeah. a trainer sends me about 15 different stretching exercises that come in every day and you can open each one and have someone showing you exactly how to do the stuff. Amazing! Yep. So I'm trying to do that to take care of myself.
0: That's and good. It keeps you young and strong, man. That's how
1: well, you do it. I it was like that when I was younger, and I'm trying not to not to fade away as I get yeah. a little bit older.
0: Well, look. Why don't you uh, have? Let's play around at El Cab. We'll get Jim. We'll get your son. We'll go out there and have some fun next time. Yeah, we got nothing to do right now.
1: Easy enough to do. You're welcome to come out whenever you want. Well, Bruce, thank you
0: so much for spending time with us. Anything else before we close that you want to share? Uh, otherwise, I know you're a busy man and you gotta you gotta get to to
1: work. No, I I, I uh, uh, to the extent this is distributed, to someone who had a question, wanted to talk to me, wanted to understand something. I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours taking phone calls that were not billable phone calls, but just doing something where I can help give back to somebody something I may have learned along the way. And I've just been very comfortable doing that. And I welcome people if they want to ask or understand something to try to share something I've learned along the way.
0: And I can say I've been the beneficiary of some of those calls and appreciate that. So yes, you've been very helpful, very generous, and it's clear it's who you are and your authenticity and caring is a big part of why you've been so successful. So I'm I'm glad you were able to share that. We appreciate you uh, coming on and spending some time with us. And let's get out to El Cab and I'll hack it up. Okay. All right. Thanks, Bruce. Talk to you soon. Take care, Danny. Hey, thanks for sticking with us on The Deal with Danny Brown. Thank you, Bruce Smiley, for kicking knowledge and breaking it down. It's always fun to talk to you. Hopefully we'll get to play some golf soon at El Cab. Please find us at thedealpod.com or at thedealpod.com subscribe if you want to follow our video on YouTube the deal with Danny Brown on YouTube channel please subscribe there and if you have any questions you can always DM us and we'll get back to you if you have any ideas for guests let us know and uh, we have some sponsors that we're going to be announcing soon so we'll keep you posted we appreciate the support and hope everyone has a good week take care I am what I am